All right, y'all, we're about to get started. But before we get started, um, Ms. Shalane and I like to pray a lot. So we got my daddy here. So, daddy, can you uh, do a quick little prayer? Make sure that everything goes well, sound check, all of that. And then we're going to get started. Thank you. Father, we come right now to give you thanks and praise for this moment, this space, this time, this fellowship, this recording, uh, just for everything that you've done this day. pray that this be a successful night as it already has been. Bless these two hosts as they do their thing. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay. You ready, Mish? Yeah. All right. So, um, hi, everybody. Thank you guys so much for coming. We really appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, this is our first recording live um, in front of an audience of the Point of No Return podcast. So, so without further ado, Michelle, start us off. 16-year-old Teresa Venegas went missing after a party around 11 p.m. on Halloween night in 2006. Her body was discovered three days later in a field across from the local high school. She was strangled, raped, and had her hair cut off. It's been over a decade, and detectives still have no clue what happened to her. Do you know why parents begin checking children's Halloween candy? On Halloween night in 1974, a father of two, Ronald O'Brien, took his kids trick-or-treating, and it ended in a night of horror. <laughs> Y'all see all this horror stuff in here. <laughs> Ronald gave his son a large pixie stick to eat while trick-or-treating, and by bedtime, his son collapsed from unbearable stomach pain. Authorities determined that he ingested cyanide lace candy. Days later, they arrested him for the murder of his son. 25-year-old William Lisk murdered his father, stepmother, and stepbrother in their sleep on Halloween 2010. He shot his father with a 22 caliber and raped his stepmother before shooting her too. He brutally bludgeoned his stepbrother to death using both sides of a hammer. The youngest of the family, a 16-year-old boy, was the first to discover his family's bodies. William committed suicide in jail nearly five years later. So when people think of Halloween, they think of goblins, ghosts, pumpkins, and horror, right? And just like these stories we just mentioned, a night of horror is definitely upon us. I just so, want to say, hold on, just give, go ahead. can we just get a round of applause for that intro? That was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful. That was great. We're not covering any of those, any of those. Yeah, we just, we just wanted to give about. y'all some, some, some Halloween horror. <laughs> you see over here taking notes. Y'all, Kim was writing and I couldn't break character. <laughs> we just wanted to give y'all some Halloween horror real quick. So um, now the real case and the real story begins. So um, many of you have already heard our podcast, so y'all know how we go. But this one is very different um, from most of the stories that we do. So if you guys are familiar with Robert Wan, our first case, this the style of this case really, really mirrors our, our Robert Wan case. Um, this was a case that Michelle and I stayed up until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning several nights over the last month or so, really trying to delve deep into this case and um, figure out the justice for this person because it's, it's, really, it's really crazy. And so that's how we kind of came up with our name, The Point of No Return, giving people a voice that no longer have a voice or people that literally have gone to The Point of No Return because they're no longer able um, to come back. So I wasn't going to say this until the end, but you guys, like this place in this room is very sacred to Michelle mm -hmm. and I because on October 5th, 2021, almost a year ago to the day, um, our podcast was birthed in this space. This is where we 
recorded our first episode. Um, so to bring it back here a year later is um, definitely a full circle moment. So if you see us crying, rejoicing, praising, whatever, that's because the Lord has brought us here and we're like just very grateful. So thank y'all for joining us. We love free stuff. Um, okay, so without further ado, we're going to jump right in because we already late. <laughs> we really on CP time tonight. So um, here we go. On November 3rd, 2008, a 24-year-old tenant of the Valley View Apartments was found dead in their apartment. This body was found days after a multi-unit Halloween party took place in the complex. The victim was found strangled, beaten, doused in motor oil, and appeared to be potentially burned and sexually assaulted. The murder and some events leading up to this death are known by the police because of DNA and evidence that was left at the crime scene. But the killer still has not been found. So tonight, we're going to talk theories and we're going to talk to each other about who we think might have killed this particular person. Okay, let's go back in time and set the scene. We're in Redmond, Washington, and it's Halloween of 2008. Hint, hint, we're not in the DMV anymore, y'all. It was a brisk autumn day, 58 degrees to be exact. The sun rose at 7.53 a.m. and set at 5.54 p.m. that day. The Valley View apartment complex in King County was built in 1977 and has three stories with 20 units. The complex is a mixture of comfort, style, and convenience. That's how apartment.coms and all of the other apartment listing sites described it. It was known to attract younger tenants in their 20s. From the few photos we found, Valley View was very open. It was known to attract younger tenants in their 20s. You can easily see everyone's balcony, and the cream-colored complex give, gives a roadside motel vibe. The only thing that separates the complex from the busy street is a short, grassy hill with a few trees, as you see right there. In order for you to understand this case, I'm going to introduce you to some key players at Valley View back in 2008. Remember, we're talking about a Halloween party. We're about to name off some people, so note takers, this is your time. Rachel Shout, she was in her 20s, a single mom with, four, with a four-year-old daughter. Rachel lived in Seattle, and she had a boyfriend at the time named Sean. Their relationship was new. They had close mutual friends who lived in Valley View, so they often partied there. Arpana Janaga, one of those close friends, she was, Arpana Janaga was one of those close friends of Sean and Rachel, a 24-year-old software, software engineer. She lived in a one-bedroom apartment on the third floor with the balcony. It was apartment 8946. Nicole Heaven. She was the close, other close friend of Rachel. She lived on the first floor of the complex with her boyfriend, Ricardo. Cameron Johnson. He lived next door to Arpana. His living room shared a wall with hers. You can say they were friends of some sort, but it was unclear how close they really were. Cameron was kind of quiet. Kyle Rose. He was Arpana's neighbor on the other side. He shared a bedroom wall with her. 13 years later and Kyle still lives in the same apartment. Neil Marshall, he was invited to Valley View by his stepbrother, Chris Cutler. Partygoers described Neil as a bit of a troublemaker. Leslie Potts, she lived on the first floor. She was a sex worker and close friends of Emmanuel Fair, who she met on MySpace. Blast from the past, y'all. Who, who in here had a MySpace? I had a MySpace. What's your MySpace? Put me on your top eight. <laughs> y'all still remember your password? Have y'all visited MySpace recently? Who has visited the site recently? Y'all try to see what it's looking like? Yeah. It's not the same at all. I, I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying, well, Leslie met Emmanuel on MySpace, okay? And he lived in Central District. He lived in the Central District of Seattle and had to take the bus to Redmond for the Halloween party. That's about a 25 to 20. Tw- I do this often, y'all. <laughs> a 25 to 35 minute trip. He took the bus to the party, arriving on the 30th. So it's safe to say Emmanuel was a little excited. The tenants of Valley View went all out for Halloween that year, hosting a party that spanned four apartments of the complex. They tacked up flyers, told their close friends, and envisioned it would be a bash filled with fun memories, one you wouldn't want to forget. Little did they know, that night at Valley View would be stained with memories for a lifetime, but not ones you wanted to reminisce about. A 60s lounge, a haunted forest, a winter wonderland, and a pirate-themed area. Those were the vibes the Valley View tenants created for Halloween. Arpana transformed her apartment into a haunted forest, and she had a little red riding hood costume to match. Rachel said this was Arpana's first time celebrating Halloween. Her excitement had been seeping for weeks. Rachel dressed up as a cop and Sean a bank robber. Rachel went to Valley View early to help Arpana and a couple of friends set up for the party. Emmanuel did the same with Leslie. He helped with setup throughout the complex. Party guests started to arrive as the sun went down. Halloween fell on a Friday in 2008, so everyone was more than ready to get rowdy. It wasn't long before the parking lot, host apartments, and hallways of Valley hallways. <laughs> And hallways of Valley View were flooded with 20-somethings dressed in their favorite costumes. Rachel met Emmanuel on the walkway outside for the first time. He was dressed as a construction worker. From then on, the night raged on. So I'm going to describe a few main events from the night. Um, if you guys can imagine, like a four-apartment spanning party across three floors. There was a lot going on in that complex that night. So I'm just going to bullet point some, some highlights. Rachel recalls meeting Arpana on her deck to check, to chat and drink red wine. Chris remember, remembers Neil drinking excessively that night and starting a bunch of problems. Remember, Neil is the one everyone described as the troublemaker. Rachel would agree since she didn't like him when she first met him. Neil challenged guests to arm wrestling contests. Y'all, he set up a table in the middle of the hallway on one floor and was like, if you want to get through, you have to arm wrestle me. Very much Um, so. (laughs) Clearly. When Emmanuel stepped up to the plate, Neil wanted to do more than that. He was like, bet. (laughs) I'm not trying to arm wrestle. Let's take it to the grass. He wanted to box, so the boys went outside. Neil busted Emmanuel's lip. At one point, Rachel went to her friend Nicole's apartment to freshen up. We can assume that this was the other friend she knew in the building. Besides Arpana. That was a note for myself I wasn't supposed to read right now. So act like I didn't read it. (laughs) Weirdly enough, Neil followed behind her and tried to close the door. He let her go without a fight, but not before asking if Arpana would be interested in hooking up with him. Arpana and Cameron joked about how they could hear each other having sex through the wall often. Some said they were flirting. Rachel said Arpana once said Cameron had a thing for her. Emmanuel and Cameron met and bonded about their love of music. Emmanuel played the drums, and Cameron was an electronica fan. Cameron asked Emmanuel to come to his car to hear a CD. They ended up sitting in there for 20 minutes. Elsewhere on the party, Sean got in an altercation with an old friend. Chris and his girlfriend escaped the drama and went back to his apartment. The party was dwindling at this point, and guests left or retreated to their respective host apartments to wind down. 
So at this point, you can assume everyone got home safe. They had a great night, some rowdiness, some partying, some drinking, and a mixture of other drugs, in my opinion. But that wasn't the case for one unlucky Valley View resident. Manny's going to take you deeper into the crime now and tell you more about the victim. All right. So 24-year-old Arpa Nijanaga was originally from India. She came to the States for her master's degree in electrical and computer engineering from Rutgers University in New Jersey. Um, and soon after March 2008, she took a job in Washington as a software quality assurance engineer with former tech company EMC, which is now known as Dell EMC. So, trivia question. What's one different thing about this case that you guys have noticed that has happened in no other cases that we have? <laughs> huh? Exactly, Kita. So, we are normally a DMV-based podcast. This is not in D.C. This is in Redmond, Washington, which is 20 minutes outside of Seattle, okay? So now living in Redmond, Washington, Arpana was right at home, according to her friends in the area. She owned a Suzuki motorcycle, and um, she also was a part of a motorcycle club called the Pacific Northwest Riders, okay? So she also enjoyed singing, and she volunteered with the fire department and the local animal shelter. So as y'all can hear, Arpana was doing the most. <laughs> mm -hmm. She had a lot of damn time on her hands. Mm -hmm. So the reason I've told you so much about her is because she is our victim, so she is the person who actually gets murdered in our story. Oh yeah, she didn't kill nobody. Somebody killed her. Yeah, somebody killed her. I'm sorry. Twenty-four. Yeah, mm -hmm. she was twenty-four years of age. So um, three days after the Halloween party at the Valley View, Arpana's body was finally discovered by her neighbor Jay and Cameron. Okay, well, excuse me, by a friend, Jay, and Cameron, who is her neighbor, okay? Mm -hmm. So remember, Cameron is the guy that she was doing what with? Flirting. Flirting, good job. She was flirting with him. So Cameron and Jay, so keep Jay in, in, in the back of your head. We haven't really heard much about Jay yet. So Cameron and Jay actually found Arpana in her bedroom, lying on the floor, on the floor excuse me, face down. She had been covered in bleach, motor oil, toilet, toilet bowl cleaner, and some other substances just to cover up the crime scene, okay? So crime scene investigators said that there were two blue stains on the carpet where her hands were, and um, they were soaked in toilet bowl cleaner. So did you guys know what toilet bowl cleaner was made of? Acid. acid. Toilet bowl cleaner is made up of 98% acid. So, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> do with that what you will but um <laughs> it is made up of 98 percent acid so bleach stains were also present at the crime scene trailing from arpana's living room to her bedroom bleach was also wiped on several pieces of furniture including her couch her living room table and just other surfaces that were in her living room okay so the motor oil was actually found in arpana's bedroom but it was motor oil spread all around her body and on her body. That was Neil. You think it was Neil? Yeah. Trump. Come over here. <laughs> Come over here real quick. Well, yes, get up. It was Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to. It was Neil. Why? Um, because he's a troublemaker asking people to hook up who he doesn't know. That means he's a murderer? No, but he's arm wrestling and getting very physical. I don't like that. So it's okay, he's handsy. Yes, it's giving he's handsy and doesn't respect boundaries. Okay. okay. Yes, appreciate that. Okay. 
Okay. So, the killer used motor oil to hopefully light Arpana's body on fire. And we know this because Arpana had burn marks on her body. But the whole kill about this is motor oil isn't flammable. So, she never actually caught on fire. Okay? So, in her bathroom, investigators also found a comforter, which had been stained with blood and then soaked in the tub with water and bleach. A week after Arpana's death, her autopsy was conducted by the King County Medical Examiner. So, King County is the county where Redmond in Seattle is, okay? So, the autopsy revealed that Arpana had been strangled and asphyxiated to death, roughly 48 hours or so before her body was discovered. This concluded that Arpana had been killed sometime the morning of Saturday, November 1st, the morning after the Halloween party. So, Mish, if you can go to the next slide. And I just want y'all to know, I did that. She I'm a coroner. <laughs> okay. I am a coroner. Look at that. I did that. Okay. Girl, please. And now she found the actual. That. She found the actual. Them the products. Okay. <laughs> I did that. Okay. So there it is. So these are all the substances that were found by Arpana's body or on her body. Excuse me. So we have the motor oil. We have the toilet bowl cleaner. And then we also have the bleach. Okay. So there was blunt force injuries to the top of her head, her forehead, the side of her head, her cheek, her lip, and her chin. She also had several broken teeth, and she was asphyxiated to death. So that means she was strangled to death by a boot lace. So again, her hands were stained by toilet bowl cleaner. So that's what the blue dots are. And then there, were bruising, there was bruising on her inner thighs. So what y'all think happened? She was a question mark with the boot lace. Come over here real quick. Come on, you know, I told you get on the mic. <laughs> you said, okay, so the only person who had on boots was likely Emmanuel, who he was a construction worker, right? Okay. Okay, he had on boots, so boot laces. Okay. Okay, that's all I got for now. Mm. For now. That's tea. Just be, be, be ready to run right back up. That's tea. I never even thought of that. Yeah, your girl got some shit. She was, I was talking to her in the bathroom. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I, I feel you, Ariel. Okay, who has a question? We'll get there, sweetie. Okay, yep. You're, you're, you're thinking in the right direction. Mm -hmm. keep, keep, keep thinking that same thought. Keep thinking in that same direction, okay? So, a specific time of death is still unknown, but investigators have speculated that Arpana died somewhere between 3 a.m. and 8 a.m. on Saturday morning of November 1st, okay? So, again, I read all of that stuff to y'all. She had ligature marks on her neck and on her chin. She had several broken teeth. She was gagged by her own underwear, and then the killer put duct tape over her mouth so she couldn't breathe, okay? So evidence of sexual assault was there. She was nude, there were bruises on the inside of her thighs, and her tampon had been removed and discarded next to her body. Yes. Yes. Or she pulled out, okay. Or she pulled out her own tampon. I'm sorry, we got some lawyers in the building. Or she pulled, she pulled out her own tampon. Okay. We don't know. So. Huh? Who said she But you're not pulling out your tampon and throwing it on the floor. You're, st <laughs> you're putting it in 
listen. It was right listen. next to her body. It was right it was next, next to her, to her body. Bring it back. Y'all here? Y'all here? Y'all here? Yeah, they there. I key, key, key. I key, key. The girls is key, key. Okay, so there's a significant reason why we're here today outside of what Amanda already told y'all. We've been here before. This is where we recorded our first episodes. But it's also National Podcasting Day. And that's another reason why we were really pulling. We are really pulling it to, like, really host this in this space at this time. All right, so right back where we left off. Um... So, Arpanus Killer basically tried to scrub all of their DNA from the crime scene. So, they also cleaned under her fingernails. So, her fingernails were clean when she was discovered, okay? So, the head police lieutenant on this case by the name of Brian Coates told reporters this. It was a scene where suspects, where a suspect or suspects spent considerable spent excuse me a considerable amount of time covering up the crime it was a brutal scene and it was just very gruesome i hope i never have to investigate a case like this again that was his quote end quote so not only was there evidence of the crime in arpana's apartment but investigators also found a load of evidence outside of arpana's apartment mm. so this evidence was found in the complex's dumpster so the killer was smart and stupid at the same damn time. So, you know, they be saying killers is some of the smart and dumbest people. So in the dumpster was a bottle of motor oil. <laughs> and also in that plastic bag, they found Arpana's Halloween costume. They found her cape in there. And so it was um, bloodstained. And then they also found her bathrobe, which was also bloodstained. They found her black silk bed sheets. And then they also found a burned green blanket. So all of these were missing from Arpana's apartment, and then they found them in the dumpster outside of her apartment. So the other things that belonged to Arpana were also missing from her apartment, and these things included um, her Suzuki GS500, her motorcycle, and then also Arpana's ID cards, her Blackberry, and her digital camera were also missing. No, the, the motorcycle <laughs> wasn't in the garbage. It was missing. 
So this is what was missing from the crime scene. Yes. Her, her bike was missing. Her ID was missing. Her Blackberry was missing. And then also her digital camera was missing. Anything with technology on it was missing. Yeah. So you can imagine that if all of this kind of stuff is missing, then her killer probably knew her. Yeah, because why else would you take it? If you didn't know her, then what's, what is it to you? Exactly. So the thing about the bike is the bike actually was discovered later on by the police. Um, her bike was actually at the shop. So that was just a little tease for y'all. <laughs> the, bike, the bike was at the shop. The bike wasn't missing. <laughs> yeah, so the bike wasn't missing. Her bike was y'all getting was repaired. Y'all was doing a lot of other shit but finding her motherfucking killer, right? <laughs> so, like, what yeah. the fuck was she? So the bike was getting repaired. but They the, found that bike, though. Yeah. But the ID still is missing. The BlackBerry is still missing, as well as the digital camera. So another really interesting thing was that when Arpana's body was found, it was covered by a blanket. So if any of you guys are crime junkies, then you guys already know. Look when a killer covers the body, more than likely, they know the person that they killed. They know the victim. Because they have remorse. The, yes, they have remorse and it's shame. So they're like, oh, shit, I know this person. I got to cover up the body. So that's if it's just a random killer, they're going to leave your body there and go on. But more than likely, after they kill you, if you are some kind of person that knows that person, they're going to cover that body up because now they feel ashamed, okay? So... Yeah, that was that was it. You ready to talk timelines? Yeah, let's do it. You want your drink back? He was about to knock it over. Oh, thank you. You know, I You're gotta so go back sweet. always. All right, let's talk timelines. All right, we're going through the timeline. And you know what's yeah, crazy? This is, is a lot of information. And this is a condensed timeline. Look at Ariel, Miss Ariel, not Miss Ariel sitting up. <laughs> not Sheena taking pics. This is a condensed timeline. But I'm going to go really in depth and give you as many timestamps as I can with what I have. Okay, so let's pinpoint some of the important instances we know of that occurred on Halloween night. So I already told you guys a rundown of like the main events, but I'm going to put some timestamps to them, which are very important to understanding what could have happened to Arpena that night. So at 7 p.m. the party begins. I don't know about y'all, and I I be partying, but 7 p.m. is crazy. (laughs) Like 7 p.m. they said sun went down. I already told y'all the sun went down at like 5:58. The party started at seven. They said it's dark. Bet, let's head to Valley View. That's because you live on the East Coast, baby. Think she been there for a few months? No, she was. She was hosting a party with a lot of people. <laughs> please please okay so 7 p.m the party starts at 12 a.m arpana invites everyone to her place for pizza this is around the time cameron arrives to the party after a night out with friends in the city so cameron wasn't there until around midnight sometime after that cameron invites everyone to his place for vodka shots specifically vodka i don't you know he really got into the spirit and put a devil mask on all right, so they all went after they had the shots. We don't want no devils in this house, God. We want the Lord. That's it. <laughs> after that, they all went back to Arpanas. It was crowded. This is when Emmanuel and Cameron meet each other for the first time. So 2.30 a.m., Cameron takes Emmanuel to his apartment, and then 
I'll taste Carlos in the music. So they vibing. They meet around like, you know, maybe 12, 31 a.m. or something. They vibing. They kicking it. They, you know, bond about their interest in music. And they go out to Cameron's car to listen to some music. It's 2008, okay? So sometime near the end of the night, the key players gather at Nicole's apartment. You guys haven't heard much about Nicole. She was one of the people who decorated at the beginning of the night. She was kind of an outlier, but she was just kicking it, you know? She lived on the first floor. Arpena lived on the third. Nicole lived on the first. Leslie also lived on the first floor. So at this same time, a lot of things just start to happen. I'm about to just launch off some shit, and it might not add up, but this is what the fuck we got, okay? (laughs) So around the same time, Neil leaves the complex, Cameron and Emmanuel weren't there, of course, because they're probably in the car listening to the music or doing what the fuck they was doing at that time. Leslie briefly stops by before returning to her apartment where Emmanuel was nowhere to be found. Rachel and Arpana get in a disagreement about women growing up in the U.S. versus India. So their their disagreement was also, it was kind of deep, but it was also like. It's not that deep. Yeah, they could have got past it. So long story short. Arpana was like, it's hard growing up as a woman in India. And I'm like, I feel like we see, you see, see the stories about women in India um, and what they go through. I spent a month in India. So hearing, so hearing that initially, I was like, yeah, I couldn't show my arms. I couldn't show my legs. If y'all know me, I like showing my arms. I like showing my legs. And I like showing everything else. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, yeah, Arpana was going through some. And right, you know, Rachel was like, well, it's hard growing up here too. And Arpana was like, not as hard as it was in India. And Rachel mm-hmm. was, like, kind of combat her on it. Like, you know, it was giving – Arpana was talking Black Lives Matter and, and Rachel was talking white woman All Lives Matter. Karen. Yeah, yeah. It was giving Karen. It was yeah. giving Karen. She was not trying to sympathize. And Arpana wasn't fucking with that. She got mad. She was like, I'm leaving. And also I want to add something. In our mm-hmm. research, we found that a lot of publications overly sexualized Arpana, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like – even the police detective, when he um, interviewed people, he was like, well, she was dressed really sexy that night. And, you know, like, are you sure you didn't want to have sex with her because she was dressed like this or like that? Mm-hmm. Or, like, Arpana had a lot of sexual partners. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What that guy do anything? That doesn't warrant anybody for being murdered, raped, sexually assaulted, period. Period. And you can do whatever you want to do with your body. So, um, to that extent, I felt like her friend, Rachel, was giving her a little white woman energy, mm-hmm. um, as they do, <laughs> and she was probably victimizing her, so um, that's, that's, that, I, I'm getting the vibe, that was, that, that was what that conversation was, Arpana was like, girl, hold on now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and one thing, please. Um, yeah. yeah. court documents or like where we got the information from or so this is a combination of um washington state court documents as well as some articles that we read but mostly court documents yeah okay yeah so it's it's a lot of um police interviews as well as, like, just attorneys interviewing the folks that were involved at the party and then kind of getting their timeline of what they thought, and then we kind of smashed it all together from the different bits and pieces that we got. Yeah, and we try to really lean on, like, authenticity of the source, and it was hard because, like... It was. There were a few news sources that we knew were, like... That are credible news sources. That were credible, but then, like, their sites are not down, they are not up anymore, but also, like, they weren't really into it. It's like, me and Amanda caught three or four different discrepancies in this case, like, on our own, and it's like, 
who's checking for this shit? Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. literally, one news site posted the wrong apartment complex. And I'm like, I know it's wrong because I literally, all you have to do is Google the fucking address. Yeah. And see where it's at. And they posted pictures of the wrong complex. And it's, it's, it's misconstruing because, like, the complex they posted has, like, 100 apartment complexes in it. Like, uh, uh, apartments in it. And I'm like, to understand what happened at Valley View, it was only com- 20 units. Yeah. Everybody in there knew each other. Come on now. And it was off the, it was off the, yeah. uh, a really busy street. So, like, you could pull up to it. You knew where you was going when you pulled up to it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. But we're going to continue. Yeah, so what we're trying to say is we did our due diligence as journalists. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so we told you Cameron and Emmanuel weren't there. When Leslie briefly stopped by before returning to her apartment, where, you know, Emmanuel wasn't there. And remember, Emmanuel is Leslie's friend. So he was staying at her crib. Um, they know, met on Rachel MySpace. And had they, you know, disagreement. And yes. No, no, he's from Redmond. No, not not. Excuse me, he's, not from Redmond. He's, he's like, from yeah, Seattle. I'm, from C- I'm from the West Side, Seattle, baby. Like, like deep Seattle. I don't know what they do, but that's what he was doing. <laughs> y'all see pictures of him eventually. Y'all see pictures of him eventually. Yeah, y'all gonna see pictures of Emmanuel in a second. But Emmanuel was a friend of somebody that lived at the Valley View. So Leslie was his friend, and Leslie was also a sex worker. So I don't know if we say it, and I don't. No, think we, we didn't say it, say it here, but you can say it. But. <laughs> <laughs> Emmanuel so Michelle and I have some some thoughts that maybe Emmanuel was a pimp and here's why we think that because Emmanuel was posting sex work ads on Craigslist for Leslie Leslie was the person who lived in the Valley View and that's how he got invited to the Valley View party so Emmanuel did not live at the Valley View Leslie lived at the Valley View. And remember, Emmanuel excited ass got there on the 30th. The yeah, party was on the, on the 31st. 30th. And so another thing that we didn't say, like we have so much background information on this and some of it was just irrelevant. But another random tidbit that I'll throw in there is Emmanuel came there because he was just like kind of going from pillow to post. He was staying with different people mm-hmm. and stuff at this time. Yeah. So, I mean, for lack of better words, he was kind of homeless. So at the time he needed somewhere to stay. And Leslie was like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, it's giving it's giving pimp. And I'm going to tell you why in a second. But Emmanuel and Leslie, they met originally on MySpace. They hung out a few times Mm -hmm. in between there. But Leslie was the one that actually lived at the Valley View where they were having the party. So one of those party rooms that Michelle described at the beginning of the the episode was actually Leslie's apartment. Mm -hmm. So we don't know which one, but one of those. He helped her set up. He helped her tape stuff up on the walls. He helped other people. But he just thought he was staying for the weekend. So when he got there to Leslie's house, he found out that there was a Halloween party happening. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people in the Valley View, like we said, it was a small, close, tight-knit community. So, yeah. So they were like, oh, you don't have a costume? We'll help you. So people found, like, a utility belt. They found this. They found that. And that's how he came up with his costume to be a construction worker. Mm-hmm. Yes. Neil is okay. We didn't get there yet, but <laughs> Neil is Neil is Chris's cousin. Neil is Chris's cousin, so he had a cousin who lived in the Valley View, and that's why Neil was there. But Neil was also the fucking troublemaker. He was the one who was in the hallway doing the. He didn't even live there. He didn't live in Valley View. Yeah, we'll get there. I don't know. We'll get there. (laughs) 
honey, I'm never walking three hours home. <laughs> Drunk or not? <laughs> I'm stranded. <laughs> He said it was a three-hour walk. That's a... No, he that's said he a, walked three, for three hours. And, and hold on. I'm, I'm going to convict the fellas to get up when they got something to say. Okay. Let's reel it in, y'all. Okay, let's reel yeah. it in. So that was a, I like what you said, Matt. Like, was it a three-hour walk and did it take him three hours to get there? We don't know at this point. We Honestly, I don't have information on that, so we might not know. But that's a good thing to bring up and keep that in your motherfucking head when we talk about the timeline. Like, furthermore. Okay? Okay. So can I continue? Y'all good? Yeah, go ahead. You ready? All right. So I already told y'all, Rachel and Arpana had their stuff. And, you know, Arpana dipped after that. She was like, basically, you're not going through what I'm going through over in India. Like, y'all got it good over here in America. Like, our circles are not the same. And so that was the last time they spoke to each other. And let me tell y'all, we listened to this podcast that Rachel was on. And she was just saying, like, you know, the last time I talked to Arpana, like, that was our last, you know. You last, know. last. You know, our last interaction, and, you know, it was an argument, huh? In, in the podcast. Yes, she was crying. That's my Why crying voice. Tears? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to just leave that with y'all, because I'm going to tell y'all in a second when the last time somebody even talked to Arpana. Okay. So around the same time, 3 a.m., I told y'all this shit going to get work wonky, because I don't know what time this shit really happened, but it happened in the 3 to 4, day, 4 a.m. hour. So 3 a.m., the party ends, everyone disperses. Um, and this is the last time Arpana's neighbors remember seeing her alive. Around that same time, Cameron calls Arpana several times. Once at 2.57 a.m. and again at 3.04 a.m. Also at the same time, a party guest recalls seeing Cameron talking to Arpana in her doorway. Remember, they live next door to each other, okay? So by this time, I know I just, I just kind of went all the way through Halloween, but it's clearly into Saturday morning. I'm going to continue on Saturday morning. No one, including Leslie, remember seeing Emmanuel again after about 3 a.m. Remember he was in the car? Yes, correct. Yep. Leslie recalls seeing him sleep on the couch Saturday morning when she woke up, which was around maybe 8 or 9 a.m. because that's when a lot of the, the tenants in Valley View started to clean up from the, from the night before. I just want to say they was real close-knit. Y'all waking up at 8, 9 a.m. to clean up, and we was up till 3, 4 a.m. drinking? I don't know yeah, about I'm that. On that. <laughs> okay, so 8 a.m. Kyle recalls. Hold on, listen, y'all, because this is important. This is very important. This is very important. Okay. Go ahead. 8 a.m. Kyle recalls hearing a loud thud coming from Arpana's apartment. Remember, Kyle was Arpana's neighbor on the other side. So on one side, she got Kyle. On one side, she got Cameron. Okay. He, he also heard more noises, which were footsteps, running water, but water that had ran for an hour, y'all. He said he described it as that, run, that water was running for an hour. Like when you turn the shower on or the, the bathtub on, that water was running for a whole hour. I don't know about y'all, but what y'all doing when y'all hear some water run for an hour? That's not like a fucking bathtub. Y'all think she's about, she's about to sink. Something about to happen, right? It's giving me Whitney Houston. I'm going to be like, damn, somebody's trying to drown themselves. You said it's not my business. You want to go check on your neighbor? <laughs> like she was on her deathbed. Right. Okay. Okay. So get this though. That same neighbor who said he heard the water running around 9 a.m., he said he saw her door cracked open. 
you see her door cracked open, you hear water running. It was a thud, maybe an hour prior. You tell me you're not gonna check on somebody? I don't know about y'all, but what, what the fuck was y'all doing? You gonna check on somebody? You be money, and that's so you say you don't give a fuck. That's the thing, because my neighbor used to blast music, cut it off, do whatever, and I I, I was minding my business. She had a neighbor who used to play the violin. <laughs> we used to have to wait till the violin went off, and I'm like, we never went and checked on them to be honest. But I'm like, they just playing the violin, having a good time. Except for the time we went up to the fifth floor and but we, yes. we listened to the but door. But yes, we also like, I will say. There? So her and yeah, her and Cameron were, were I guess you could say they were friends. They were close enough. I mean, to they were close enough. They had each other's number. Yeah, they had each other's number, and they was kicking. But listen, let me tell you. Let me tell you. I don't have my neighbor's number. Let me tell you, they was. They were close enough. They were close enough to Kiki about sharing a wall. They shared a living room wall, and they apparently would hear each other having, having sex, sex all the time. I'm not talking about sex with my neighbor. That's not neighborly. That's weird. <laughs> what you gonna do? What was that? What's that mean? What's that gesture? They're 24, 25. Like they mid age though. They not straight out. Of, I mean, they're not straight out of college. They're not college students. Okay, I already told her between 8 and 9 a.m. The Valley View residents were, you know, cleaning up. They was doing their shit. That was Saturday morning. Y'all, Sunday on November 2nd, we know nothing about what went down in, in Valley View that day. It's either people was still hungover from the day before or they was partying. You know, they was doing what they do. There's no report, not one instance or timestamp of what the fuck went down in Valley View on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So that's November 2nd, okay? Let's get into Monday, November 3rd. This is very, very pivotal day, and you want to pay attention right now. Note takers, get y'all get y'all pins ready, okay? November 3rd. That's the Monday after. That's also Arpana's birthday. Her, I'm sorry. What you want me to say? It was her birthday. She Her body was discovered on her birthday. This is the point of no return, and it's real. I'm saying it right now, but, like, y'all didn't need to see that up there. So that, <laughs> She said you didn't put that on the fast fact. That was the point. Okay, so let's get into the third. So we don't have specific timestamps. Y'all ready? We don't have specific. Specific. Pa not Pacific. Ooh, it ain't nothing left in my cup. I not Pacific. Eyes. You got some <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Please. Another one. Another one. Thank you. Ooh, y'all, excuse me. I be I be having a fake a lisp in. Just be a little bit a little bit out of pocket. Because what did I just say? I said Pacific. Pacific. That's okay. Y'all didn't get that on camera, right? My mama probably did. Oh, she she been on her shit the whole time we've been here. Go ahead. Okay, we don't have specific timestamps of how this morning rolled out. But it's the day Arpana's body was discovered. Here's what we know. Arpana didn't show up for work. 
her supervisor, Muhammad Ali. That was and his that's name. his name, Muhammad Ali. And leave it there. <laughs> Don't we, say we nothing gonna, else. We're going to move past it. His name Muhammad Ali, and we're going to move past it. <laughs> he assumed she was at home nursing a hangover from li- from the lively holiday weekend. So basically, Muhammad, in his interviews, he said, you know, Arpana get drunk all the time. If she missed work, <laughs> I'm just chalking up to the fact that she'd be turned up. She'd be hungover and she'd be at the crib. He did say that. He said Arpana be turned and he he thought nothing of it. Okay. But listen, Arpana's family was used to hearing from her every day. Y'all realize they're in India. So when I was in Michigan and, well, no, when I was in, my mom was in California. I was in India. It was a 12-hour difference. So it was a half a day difference. I was a half a day ahead. So... Arpana's family, you know, they were used to hearing from her. And her father, Dr. Janaga, began to get worried. He phoned two of her closest friends in India to see if they had heard from her, but they hadn't. So she always phoned, you know, with FaceTime phone. I said FaceTime. I don't even know if FaceTime was a thing in 2008. They would talk to her all the time. We didn't get FaceTime until my sophomore year of college. Okay, so it was no FaceTime. 2012. She was talking to her homegirls, though, in India, okay? And they hadn't heard from her. So he called his former student and a close family friend, Jay. I'm not even going to say his last name. We're going to say JB. Jay lived in Washington. You want me to say it? No, I don't. Okay, I'm like, bow to chair. Please, 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 please. JB. Just JB. He phoned JB. Jay lived in Washington. So Dr. Janaga asked him to go check on Arpana since they hadn't heard from her in three days. She about to get real nasty, y'all. When Jay arrived at Valley View, he ran into Cameron. Remember, that's her neighbor on one side. Since he didn't know which unit Arpana lived in, Cameron showed him the way. Cameron was just walking around the complex. I don't know if he was blowing steam, if he was chit-chatting or what, but he was walking around. He ran into Jay. So at this time, Jay and Cameron went to Arpana's apartment and found her. Jay had no clue his wellness check would result in finding Arpana's lifeless body on the floor of her bedroom. All right, we're going to play the 911 call for y'all. This is Cameron. Okay. What did he say? He said he didn't get close to it. He said he didn't get close to it. Okay. And that that's the end of the 911 call. Oh, come over okay. Here. Come over here. So wait, 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 wait. We got. Wait, 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 wait. So. We're gonna hop into some real quick, and we can take this as a um. 
Take this as an open discussion, but when y'all talk, I need y'all, if you, if you feel like you're going to say some words, come this way. Okay? Yes. So, so we're, we're asking for some crowd participation on this. Who do you think Who do you think did, did it? it? But also, comment on what, what just happened. Rochelle, I like what you just said. So I know you cozy. I know you cozy, but get up for me real quick. Okay. So you had some thoughts about... Who was just speaking? Okay, so that was Jay at first, the inaudible kind of sound that you heard. That was, that was Jay. Jay so Jay, of course, is Arpana's dad's former student. Oh, right. So Arpana's dad sent him over there to look for Arpana because they hadn't heard from her in days. So he finds, he finds Cameron in the hallway, and then Cameron also hops on the phone. So go ahead. So judging from the call, I don't think this person's a suspect. I don't really know Cameron? much. Jay. Jay's the Jay. person on the call. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's a traumatic experience. He did. It. He said I didn't get close to it, which makes it like so Cameron. unpersonal. It was Cameron. That was okay. Cameron who said like that. if it was. Remember the cameras the next door neighbor. As if well. it was Arpana, like I feel like he would have said like her name or personalized it a little bit. I just feel like it's really disconnected. So I don't think. You don't think he did it because he's disconnected, or do you think? It's just that the, the I don't want to judge him off this call. Okay. It just seems That's like right. the the energy behind it isn't really solid, or it just seems frantic. Okay. It seems okay. frantic at this moment. I don't feel strongly. This is an indictment to me. Okay. okay. <laughs> Anybody else have any opinions? Sheena, Jazz, yeah, we all Kim. Okay. Look, 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 look! It's Kim's face for me. Look at Kim's face, bro. Look at her face. I I would love to hear from the lawyers. We got some lawyers in here. Loki, so. I think I'm, I'm along. I, I align with the not judging Cameron only for the fact that it could be referring to the crime scene, not necessarily Arpana, right? Well, because if her body's disheveled and not. The 911 I'm sorry to interrupt. The 911 caller asked if she's still breathing. He said, I didn't get close to it. I know, but. Also, people respond to trauma so radically different okay. that I don't know. And then when someone's reacting, hyper-reacting, I think that if you're with someone like that, you're inclined to be quieter, to okay. kind of balance that. So I still think he's giving, like, white man murder vibes. Don't, you know, like, I think that he is a murderer. But okay. I don't know if I would blame, I would use his phone call as the evidence of that. Okay. Okay. Anybody yeah. else? And Neil is still a killer. Why are you arm wrestling people for fun? <laughs> Y'all on Neil bad. Y'all on his Y'all on Neil bad. Anybody else? Uh-uh. Um, excuse me, Innocent. I would like to hear from you. Come up here, Innocent. Period. Terrence. Innocent, come up here. Yeah. I said I want to hear from you. You you got you, you chitter-chattering. Come on. Y'all let that man walk three hours home. He needed the cardio. All right, when we get into it, when we get into it. All right, um, so Manny was going to walk three hours home, right? No, no, no. No, Neil walked three hours home. Okay, it's the pimp. Yes, Emmanuel's the pimp. Okay, so I feel like it was Emmanuel off the strength that um, I have a theory that he wanted another sex worker, mm-hmm. essentially, um, mm. and she wasn't going for it. With a mixture of, if he didn't want another sex worker, he wanted somewhere to lay his head at. Okay. I'm just going. I, I feel like that's real. I feel like, I like it's a man. It's either it's either he needed another sex worker or he's somewhere to lay his head at. So it was the option of 
Emmanuel and Emmanuel only. I'm not gonna lie to you. Okay. That's Phil, it. can I ask for you to come up and say your thoughts? You're really into your notes right now. Can you please come and share? It was the nose in front of the face for me. Okay, let's see. Well, I don't think that it was Emmanuel because he has no real relation to um, Arpanef. And mm -hmm. it's just, it, crimes crimes like that are, are very rarely, they occur through strangers. They don't really happen like that usually. So um, I'm thinking that it's not, not Emmanuel. Um, I don't think I don't think it's Neil. Um, I'm thinking I'm thinking it could be I'm thinking it could be Cam. I don't know. I like where you're headed. I think okay. it could be Cam, but I, but there's but there's no period. There's no real. I still feel like we don't have enough information. Okay, we got so some more. Information. We got some more information. Okay. Uh oh, uh, my sister has her hand up. Yes, friend. Friend, please come. Friend, please come to the mic. I would love to hear a sister voice on here. <laughs> yeah, you right in front of me. You and my sister. So I, I too think it's Cameron, just because he had some discrepancies with uh, Emmanuel in the car. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't know each other, so why are they hanging out? Hello. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was kind of mm -hmm. strange. It's very um, weird. I wish we could go back to the to the slide before I could give more detail about why. <laughs> <laughs> why? That's no problem. <laughs> there you go, baby. Okay. Okay. So, so Cameron and Emmanuel don't know each other. But they're mm -hmm. hanging out together. Yep. So that's my first issue with Cameron. I don't think Emmanuel had anything to do with it. Um, here we have Cameron making multiple phone calls. That's an alibi. He's trying to yeah. come up with, you know, an alibi as to, oh, I tried to call her X, Y, and Z many times, and she didn't answer or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that was that. And then the phone call, the 911 call, the it yeah, I don't like that either. Yeah. The it is very weird. It is it. Yeah, you wouldn't touch it if you spent all that time. Oh, Sheena Marie. Yeah. Can you please come to the mic? <laughs> Period. Tina Marie. Sheena Marie. I'm talking squabbies to you, baby. You need some more, you need some more shit, you said? Okay, we're going to move on. Oh. Okay, who has a question? Go ahead. You missing? You feel like you missing somebody? Like in the story? Like well, not outside up? of this, we're not gonna talk about Jay anymore. Okay. Yeah, Jay was just sent over by Arp and his dad. He didn't go to the party. He didn't go to the party. No. Jay. Okay, y'all so, have to assume Jay's older. Yeah. He's a little older than Arpana and her group of friends, and he was a student of the father's back in India, but he just happened to be in Washington at the time, so he said, "Please go check on my daughter." So remember, Arpana's dad is a doctor. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely not him. Yeah, that that's all you'll hear about him. Arp and his dad sent him over there for a wellness check. Okay, yes, yeah, innocent. We'll get into that maybe a little bit. I'm being dead ass. Come on. <laughs> I just said we don't get into it. Fuck. I'm being dead ass. She been in New York. She's a she's she's, she's a New Yorker. Been in New York for she's a New Yorker now. Um, we have a short video that we want y'all to watch about touch DNA. So a lot of this case 
and convictions and all of that stuff and all of that great stuff was based off of something called touch DNA. So we want you guys to get familiar with what touch DNA is. So when we actually talk about touch DNA, you know what we're talking about, okay? Your DNA, it was found on the dead man's finger. How could that have possibly happened? I've been looking into DNA and whether it's as reliable as we all think it is. We all have a lot of faith in DNA, and it is pretty conclusive. It's better than any other forensic science we have, especially when you have a large amount of one person's well-preserved DNA. To interpret DNA, analysts look at a chart called an electropherogram. A perfect sample of DNA comes out like this. But in criminal investigations... Oh, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad, y'all, my bad. Investigations, <laughs> finding a perfect sample is actually not the norm. Sometimes analysts are working with degraded samples that are old or have been exposed to the elements. See how the spikes start to fade away? Or they're interpreting a sample with many people's DNA and all the spikes combined together. It can be hard to tell whose DNA is whose. Sometimes they're working with tiny amounts of DNA, maybe a piece of evidence the suspect touched. In these cases, the spikes can be small and difficult to interpret. Some labs won't even analyze these samples, but some will, even though the margin of error is higher. Technological advances will probably solve some of these problems and make DNA analysis more accurate. But as technology advances, it will also introduce new problems. Someday soon, analysts may be able to detect the genes from a single cell, and we leave our cells everywhere we go. Those cells can travel to places we've never even been. So it's not impossible that your DNA could be found at a crime scene, and cops could knock at your door. That's what happened in 2012 to a man named Lucas Anderson. He was in the hospital at the time of the murder. It turns out that the paramedics used the same oxygen monitor on his finger that they used on the murder victim's finger later that day. And that's how Lucas's DNA was transferred to the murder victim's fingernail. Lucas Anderson was in jail for five months before they figured out what had happened. Okay, so you guys are able to see now what touch DNA is, right? So literally touch DNA is quite literally a touch. So depending on where you are and what you touch and where you are, like it can be your literally your dead skin cells shutting off and that can be at a crime scene. And they can say, hey, we found your dead skin cells at this place. You were at this crime scene. You might be a victim. I mean, you might be a suspect. So now what we're going to go into since we talked about touch DNA is how they came up with suspects. So this is not only the police, well, Redmond PD's suspects, but these are suspects that Michelet and I thought were suspects as well, okay? So this is a new name that you haven't heard. So if you have your notepad, please take a note on this. It is somebody by the name of Aaron Gertler. Hmm. So, hold on, you want to hear who he is? A-A-R-O-N. Yeah, A-A-R-O-N. <laughs> Hey, hey, Ron, that's what... <laughs> 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 hey, hey, Ron, okay. 
So Aaron Gertler was the guy that Arpina was dating. So obviously, in a regular case, he would be suspect number one, right? Mm -hmm. But we haven't heard about him yet. And I think the reason we haven't heard about him yet is because he was a white man. And the people investigating this were also white men. So they didn't care to investigate him. Um, but this is murder textbook 101, of course, but not in this case. So what we know about Aaron is, according to Aaron, two weeks prior to the Halloween party, him and Arpana's relationship kind of started to fizzle out. So according to him, they weren't hanging out as much. They weren't kicking it. So he actually was not in attendance at the party on Halloween at the Valley View. Mm -hmm. And the reason he was not in attendance at the party at the Valley View is because he already had plans with his friends in downtown Seattle to go bar hopping. Mm. So on the night of the Halloween party at the Valley View, Aaron Gertler and his friends were actually going out and they went bar hopping all around Seattle to kind of hang out. Okay. But traces of his DNA were still found at the touch scene. I mean, mm. excuse me. Traces of his touch DNA were still found at the crime scene. So, are y'all ready to see what parts of his DNA were found? Yeah, All right. So, the DNA that was found at the crime scene was his semen. Okay? So, they had stopped talking two weeks prior to this. But his semen was found at the crime scene. Oh, talk to us. But it couldn't have been the crust. I don't know. Talk to us, lawyer. You're the lawyer, not me. It was on a... It so his DNA, listen to this. His DNA was mixed with Arpana's DNA on a blood stain on her sheet that was covering her body. It could have been an old saying exactly. So Arpana was known, but the thing is, Arpana was known to keep her apartment very tidy. Uh, go ahead, friend. And he's saying they had sex three days before. Like the killer had been watching her for an extended period of time. Um, they could have used the condom that they Mm. I didn't even think of that. Okay, so y'all, we got some more suspects for y'all. So that was just Aaron. So the next suspect is Emmanuel. So Emmanuel was a friend of Leslie Potts, who was a resident at the Valley View. What about Josiah? You, you, you skipped Josiah? I'm sorry, I'm a backup. One, sorry. Before we get to Emmanuel, there's somebody named Josiah that you guys have not heard about as well. Mm. So police actually believe that a boot lace is what strangled her. And remember, she died by asphyxiation, which is also strangulation. So the shoelace in question only had one person's DNA on it. The DNA on it was found in a plastic bag along with her bathrobe that we talked about earlier and the bottle of motor oil. This shoelace had Josiah Lovett's DNA on it. However, Josiah did not attend the party, and he never came into Arpana's apartment. Before we get into the discussion, because we've got to go by this, because we have a lot to get through. Josiah's DNA was on the shoelace, the bootstrap, and Cameron's DNA was on the motor oil bottle. That's all you need to know right now. Those two things from yep. this bag of evidence. Two dudes, no correlation with each other. Also, Josiah did not go to the party, and Cameron did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go. So, Emmanuel. 
Emmanuel was a friend of Leslie Potts, who was the Valley View resident. Remember, he came over. He mm-hmm. was a construction worker. He came over on the 30th. He helped set up for the party, all of that kind of stuff. So police actually began to look into Emmanuel as Arpanus killer. And here's why. Leslie lied and said that Emmanuel wasn't at the Valley View when, in fact, he was. He was seen in photos on social media at the party. So police already knew that he was there. No, they neither one of them said that they were there. Police figured out that he was there because they saw him in photos. So the thing I will tell you about Emmanuel is Emmanuel is a black man. And as you can imagine, in Seattle, he was the only black man at the party. So he stuck out like a sore, thr- like a sore thumb. Excuse me. So when police saw his photo, they automatically thought that he was suspicious. Okay? So he admitted to investigators that he was at Arpena's party even though Leslie said he was not there. So now there's a discrepancy between those two, you know, those two stories. So DNA from Emmanuel was recovered from the crime scene. And so he was on several pieces of evidence that they believed the killer had touched. This included the tape that was used to to gag Arpana. So remember I said she was gagged by her own underwear and then they taped her mouth. So that tape had Emmanuel's DNA on it. They also recovered very, a very, 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 very small piece of DNA from her neck. Emmanuel's DNA was also on her, ne- on her neck. Mm-hmm. They also found Emmanuel's DNA on her bathrobe that was found in the dumpster. Okay? He also has some inconsistencies in his story. So these inconsistencies included calls that he had made to Leslie at the, the crack of dawn between like 2 and 5 a.m. So he said that he went to bed at 1 a.m. However, his, he, yes, he said he went to bed at Leslie's house at 1 a.m. But his phone records showed that he was making calls to other women and Leslie between 2 and 5 a.m. that morning. So he was not with Leslie at that time. But he claimed that he went to sleep at 1 a.m., okay? So he also made numerous calls to a, to a woman named Christina. So he invited her to come to the Valley View, but she said that she had been out partying with her friends all night and she was too intoxicated to actually come meet him at the Valley View, okay? Yes. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Remember, touch DNA, right? Exactly. So, again, cell phone records indicated that Emmanuel made over, that he made or received over 20 phone calls to numerous women between 1.54 a.m. and 4.48 a.m. But remember, he told police that he was asleep by 1 a.m., okay? So, prosecutors implied that he was lying and that he was really alive, well, not alive, but awake and moving around during these vital hours that she was still awake. So, y'all favorite person, Neil. Neil's last name is Marshall. His name is Neil Marshall. So, what we know about Neil is that he was doing the arm wrestling competition. He was very drunk. He was basically doing the most. He was aggressively trying to, you know, find Arpana and, like, probably get her in some sexual acts. And then also we know that he walked from the Valley View to his home from 3 to 6 a.m., which we all agree is very weird and very fishy. So then we move on to Cameron. So please take notes on this. Cameron was Arpana's next door neighbor, okay? 
Remember, Cameron also pulled up on Jay, Arpina's daddy's friend, when he was at the building. What are the odds that you're outside trying to help somebody at that time? Okay, so he called Arpina several times during the 3 a.m. hour. So specifically, he called Arpina at 2.57 a.m., and he also called Arpina at 3.04 a.m., okay? So remember, Arpina retreated back to her house at about 3 o'clock a.m. after she got into the fight with, I mean, Rachel. So he claims to police that he heard Arpina having sex at 3 a.m. in her apartment with someone else, not him. He heard her having sex with somebody at 3 a.m. But remember... He liked her, and he had a sexual attraction to her. So before police got a search warrant for Cameron's phone, he deleted his phone logs and all of his text messages. A witness also described a man consistent with Cameron's physical appearance to be standing outside of Arpin's door around 3 a.m. talking to her. At about 10 a.m. on November 1st, the next morning, Cameron printed out directions to a pawn shop and he also drove from Redmond to the Canadian border. <laughs> At the border, Cameron tried to blow through without stopping. The custom guards searched him and refused him entry into Canada because he got there and he didn't have an ID and he did not have his passport. Another thing that they found in the car with him was a printout of local pawn shops. So... In the days after the incident, Cameron repeatedly told police he had no memory of what happened that evening at the Valley View. He was so drunk he doesn't remember anything. Mm -hmm. It was also said that he asked other people in the building if he killed Arpina because he doesn't remember what happened that night. Also, Cameron was on psychiatric meds at the time that he stopped taking. <laughs> Cameron's DNA was also found on the, on the motor oil bottle that was, um, you know, all over Arpina's body. And it was on her bed. It was on the chairs that were in her bedroom, as well as other various places in her apartment. Okay, period. What you thinking? So Okay. So there there's two more suspects. There's two more suspects. I'm almost done. So there's two more suspects. The next the next suspect, his name is Mark O'Leary. This is somebody you've also never heard of. So some people think that Mark O'Leary may have done it because he was a serial rapist in the state of Washington at the time. So, no, he was not at the party, but he was a serial rapist at the time around the same area. We're giving you all the suspects we said. We said so, the area and also from what we think. He was known to assault women in the Linwood, Washington area, which is about 40 minutes away from Redmond, Washington, okay? So what he would do is he would enter women's apartments by the window. He bound and gagged them by shoelaces and raped them repeatedly at knife point, and then he would kill them. So this was a serial killer who was active during the time that Arpina died. So, huh? He, no, he, he, he didn't burn anybody. Yes, Matt. Did anybody else know of his history? Whose history? This guy? This person, yes. Yes, the police. 
No, nobody in the party knew him. But this was just another serial killer that was around at the time. So people were saying potentially it could be him. There was another serial killer by the name of Israel Keys who kidnapped, raped, and murdered several women on the West Coast from 1998 to 2012. What's up? So <laughs> he actually was in the Seattle area during this Halloween weekend. And when FBI asked the Redmond police about him, they actually gave them no comment back. They didn't respond. So it's, it's kind of up in the air. So who do y'all think actually got arrested for They actually identified who Manuel was. Like they were like, okay, here's who he is. Why y'all think that? First name, last name. We gonna get into it. And they said he appeared in many photos. Like he was in all the motherfucking flicks, okay? No, he no, didn't he, say he that. never lied and said he wasn't there. Leslie but they saw him in there. a lot of photos and they were like, okay, we know who he is now. So he told investigators that he met Arpana on Halloween night and that they briefly had an interaction in her house. Remember, Arpana was one of four residents who hosted the party. And um, he said they got along and Arpana showed him photos from her bedroom computer. Like they were just chatting it up. She showed photos from her bedroom computer of like her life or something. Another resident or not a resident, or just a guest in the house, like, at that night said that she showed photos. Mm-hmm. So, apparently, you know, Arpana was friendly, and that was fine. They obtained a DNA sample from Emmanuel that night, or in that instance. They also gathered 23 DNA samples total from partygoers, which they were able to match to instances and things and shit that happened at the party. After analysis in January 2009, remember this shit happened in October 2008. In January 2009, the forensic scientists found that Emmanuel's DNA was found on Arpana's bloody, you know, red robe and um, was discharged in a dumpster on several pieces of toilet paper in Arpana's bedroom. So toilet paper in Arpana's bedroom had Emmanuel's DNA on it. Mm-hmm. The toilet paper was found near bleach stains and, you know, where the tampon or sound i don't want to bring up the tampon yes this is all touch dna yes Mm -hmm. but also remember emmanuel ended up in arpana's bathroom because he got punched in the lip by who by neil yeah yeah so his dna is already set in arpana's bathroom because he went to arpana's bathroom to clean up after him and neil got into an altercation go ahead all right but emmanuel's dna was also found on the duct tape which he also talked about that he was, you know, he was hanging things up, but on the duct tape that actually gagged it, you know, Arpana, his DNA was on that duct tape, like the piece of duct tape. The same duct tape is what? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say we necessarily know that, but we know that the DNA that was on her, you know, from the duct tape on her mouth, it had Emmanuel's DNA on it. Okay, that's all we know. He also told. Um, you know, investigators that he went back to Leslie's apartment between 1.30 and 2. He did not. He did not go back to the apartment. Hmm? Yeah, he was calling Leslie. He was calling, he was calling, uh, we've mapped out, you know, what was going on with him potentially at that time. So Emmanuel wants to show Cameron a computer program called Fruity Loops. Anyone know what Fruity Loops is? Fruity Loops. No, it's it's not a gay platform. It, it's a it's a mu- it's a computer musical program. Yes, but it was called Fruity Loops. But it's it's not it's not a gay platform. 
Yeah, it's not it's not a gay platform, sister. So he was trying to imagine like the Yes. So when they went to the car to play music, allegedly, Fruity Loops is what they were playing the music off of, and that was the computer program. Yeah. So detectives saw that they were playing the Fruity Loops program at 2.27 a.m. and at 2.42 a.m. But remember, Emmanuel said that he went to bed at 1 a.m. And I, and between 1 a.m. and... And no one saw Emmanuel again after 3 a.m. So whatever he was doing in the car, like he was doing in the car, if he was in the car, from what he said, he was asleep in the crib. But from records, like he was in the car. No one saw him after that. So, Mandy already told you about the calls he made to women throughout the night, like the different girls and things. There's also one more questionable call he made. He made a call to Audrey Lewis. So, Emmanuel met Audrey. <laughs> it's jazz for me. Emmanuel met Audrey Lewis um, during the Halloween party. He called her three times between 4.43 a.m. and 4.49 a.m., she didn't answer, but later told detectives that Emmanuel left a voicemail with active, you know, noise in the background. But n- nobody was talking, so basically he might have butt-dialed her. But there was active noise going on, and that was between 4.43 and 4.49. He told detectives he, he was asleep. He said he went to sleep, and that was it. Anyways, Emmanuel was charged with first-degree murder with the sexual motivation allegation on October, in, in October 2010. If found guilty, Emmanuel could spend 35 to 45 years in prison. But the prosecution was going for all they can get. They were trying to get him life in prison because of the brutality of the, of the case. Um, Emmanuel wasn't arrested at that time, though, and that's because he was already in jail, y'all. Why do y'all think he was already in jail? For the sex work. No? Yeah, so I was assuming that they just they blamed him for falling on the street. That, like, he's a pimp. He's, like, laying on the streets of drugs. Okay. Okay, well, he, he definitely had a criminal history. Y'all ready to hear it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. He had a criminal history, and it included a third-degree rape conviction. And he was, you know, a convicted sex offender. In March 2005, Emmanuel pleaded guilty to two counts of third-degree child rape of a 14-year-old. He was sentenced to, Huh? How old was he? Shit, I don't know how to do the math. Can um, he, was he, was he was 24. 24, I think. In 2003 or 24. So no. three years before that, he was 21. 21. I'm just trying to see how Molesty was. Okay, and she was 14. Molesty enough. Yes. Um, but the girl that he molested was his stepsister. Yeah, so they, had, they already had, like, a familial connection. But according to Emmanuel, which is crazy, because if y'all know what Emmanuel means it means God is with us but what do you say I don't know but that's not that that ain't nothing holy 
<laughs> raping a 14 year old and you're 21 that's sick but you're about to say what he said that the relationship was oh what he was said the their relationship was consensual but of between course between yes but of course which 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 i which i agree with because as a person who works with teenagers every single day these little girls be having sex with men that are my age i'm letting y'all know now He should, he should know better. He should know better. That is correct. He should, it, it does not matter. He should know better. But what he's saying is it was consensual. He wanted it and she wanted it. But of course he still got jail time because it's rape. He's too damn old to be fooling around with a 14 year old. Yes. Well, I mean, they're not, they're not blood. We don't know more than that. We don't know more than that though. But it was like a family thing. Like his dad married her mom and then that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, you know, if Emmanuel's already in jail when he found yes. out, you know, about his, you know, first degree murder, you know, his shit. And when he found out, he was so fucking surprised, y'all. He was like, he was, yes. Okay. He was in so, jail for a parole violation. Parole violation, yes. Yes. So, what they did was. The police had, like, zeroed in on him because he was the only black man at the party, right? So when they zeroed in on him, they figured out they didn't have, like, enough, like, physical evidence to charge him with the crime of murdering Arpana. So they arrested him on a parole violation. And I think the parole violation was something with an invalid address. So he was, remember we said he was basically homeless. He was hopping from, from home to home to home. Mm -hmm. So they arrested him on a parole violation. And then because they arrested him on a parole violation, they kept him in jail. They questioned him. They did all this stuff. So when he actually found out that he was charged with Arpana's murder, he knew that he was moving to another jail. And so he called one of his longtime girlfriends and he was like, yeah, they're moving to moving me to another jail. Like, I don't know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And she was basically like, is you dumb? I saw you on the news. Like, they're getting for that Indian girl's murder. Like, you killed her. And he was like, I did not kill her. I don't know what you're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. So that's that's basically what happened. So he kind of got blindsided. And he was already in jail. They arrested him when they wanted to question him on a parole violation. And they kept him because he was on a parole violation. So because he was on a parole violation, they kept him in jail for that seven years because his bail was upwards towards seven figures so long story short a specific company that was doing the dna analysis the the prosecution wasn't excuse me the defense wasn't fucking with them and they were like there's no way like that you could you know pull that type of dna and the prosecution was like you know we pulled whatever we had we did whatever we could with the 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 people we was working with and that's what we got and the defense said they was working with them for years but still Six, seven, eight years? It took that long? Yeah, that's so ridiculous. Like, that's a ridiculous amount of time. To me, it's given his case was put on the back burner. But at the same time, they wanted to get somebody for this. So, I'm going to get into what actually went down. So, the state toyed with a potential accomplice theory, alleging that Cameron assisted Emmanuel with Arpana's murder. And this is during, you know, Emmanuel's trial. So the defense didn't want that, you know, they didn't want that and instead focused on highlighting evidence pointing to Cameron as the main suspect. 
So they didn't want an accomplice, you know, instruction because they wanted Cameron to be the one that got pinned down for the murder. They actually won in that case. Like, the prosecutor wasn't able to use the accomplice, you know, instruction. And the state actually wasn't allowed to discuss possibility that Emmanuel and Cameron committed the crime together. Mm-hmm. So that really fucked up their whole case because their whole case was based on the fact that they did it together. It, they did it together. So the court came to this conclusion because, quote, there is no evidence they did anything together, end quote. But I feel like there was a lot of evidence that they did something together or they're at least in the same, you know, areas at the same time between the prints, cameras, prints being on the, you know, motor oil between Emmanuel's prints or evidence being on the road, those were found in the same areas in the, you know, garbage can. Like, but they said, you know. And what were they talking about in the car? The fruity Yeah. The <laughs> car situation is just weird to me because I'm like, if you have a, like, at, at that point in, t- in 2008, the car wasn't the only place you can play CDs. Like, play the CD in the house, baby. Why do you have to go all the way to the car to play a CD? Like, that's, that's, it's hella fishy. But also, when the court said that, like, there's no evidence that they did it together, they also said that Cameron, you know, there's evidence showing that Cameron could have committed the crime. And it was like, okay. No. But they did not charge him, no. Cameron was never charged with anything, but they said, yes, we understand and we agree that there's evidence that Cameron might have committed the crime, but there's no evidence that, you know, he did it with Emmanuel. So the, the state was pushing for it. They, they asked the state to reconsider. Um, but ultimately, the accomplice, you know, instruction would not be given to the jury. And the defense criticized, you know, the prosecution for not charging Cameron, and rightfully so. The prosecution never charged Cameron with anything, even though they were trying to push for an accomplice, you know, instruction. So the defense tried to get a mistrial um, after claiming the prosecution violated, you know, the ruling about the accomplice liability, liability in their opening statement. And what they said is, you know, they were trying to say, like, while, you know, Emmanuel's evidence was found at the crime scene, there's also other evidence found at the crime scene. And we're pointing to, like, one person. And they were trying to say it was Cameron. So this is what Emmanuel's lawyers said. They said evidence that someone someone else murdered Arpana you know, that's a reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt. That's how the defense opened up, you know, his closing argument. He was saying there's someone else that could have done this. Um, that was powerful. And he was right. You know, the prosecution admitted that before, you know, the trial even started. But during deliberation, the jury asked, is it a reasonable doubt if there is a second person involved in the act? And they were in deliberation for a week before they decided that it was a hung jury. Like, they, they couldn't come to a decision. And, um, you know, a week later, the court decided that they couldn't come to a decision on what was going to go on with Emmanuel, but there definitely could be another trial. Um, Amanda, do you want to take it over? Yeah, okay. Thank you. All right, so um, since the first trial was a hung jury, they actually were able to try, to try Emmanuel again. So at one point in time, he was known actually as the longest standing inmate in Kings County Jail. Um, and so he actually was in that particular jail for about eight years. 
So, you know, we hear about due process and all that stuff, but due process was not done, baby, because why was this man in jail for eight years for a crime that he maybe or maybe did not commit? That's it's, it's, it's a little bit much. So, again, his bail was upwards towards seven figures. But again, remember, we said he was basically homeless. So you already know his parents, his family could not bail him out of jail. And the court system pretty much knew that and that's why they were able to keep his bail so high so his second case was a lot different from his first and by that um, according to court records prosecutors were barred from actually arguing that Emmanuel and Cameron might have been involved in Arpin's killing together okay so there wasn't evidence to support the state's theory that the men were accomplices at all because they weren't able to argue that okay so the decision was upheld by the state of um, by the state court of appeals allowing that Emmanuel's you know first trial was unfair and that they kind of based it off of a racial bias so the chief criminal deputy of Kings County said the evidence of fair well a fair fair is Emmanuel's last name involvement is, is that his involvement in the crime was compelling um, and he said, we were limited in a way that we were able to argue the case and we have to live with that. So he's saying like they weren't able to say everything they wanted to say because they weren't able to say that Emmanuel and Cameron were accomplices in the in the crime. So he said, um, we try cases and we accept that we have to prove everything again, like I said, beyond a reasonable doubt. But ultimately, the case wasn't that compelling. So um, they ended up actually finding out that after Emmanuel was in jail for eight years, seven months, and 14 days, that he was not convicted of this crime. So in 2019, remember, this happened in 08. Arpino was killed in 08. Emmanuel didn't get out of jail until 2019, so three years ago. He got out of jail, and he was actually, you know, considered an innocent man. So now that he's actually out and he's, you know, a regular citizen like the rest of us, you can imagine he is now suing Kings County Jail because he's like, I wasted nine to ten years of my life in this jail cell and, like, y'all gonna pay. So two years after he was found not guilty, Emmanuel sued everyone that had the power to keep him in jail. So this included, and as you can see, this is Emmanuel. Um... This included the Redmond Police Department. This included the city of Redmond as a collective, as well as Detective Coates. And De Detective Coates was the guy who actually said, like, oh, yeah, Emmanuel did this. I know he did it because he's black, blah, blah, blah. He stood out the party. So um, he contends that he would have never been held in a cell, and definitely not for years, if he weren't a black man with a criminal record. So remember, you guys already kind of knew, like, oh, yeah, they say he did it because he's black. And we agree that that is definitely why they kept him. So um, the suit describes an investigation that was so badly handled that is characterized as bizarre. That's how they characterize this case. So since his release, now Emmanuel kind of exists in two worlds because it's like, yeah, I'm out, but guess what? I was in solitary confinement and in a small kind of space for the last decade. So, of course, he has that kind of incarcerated mindset. So um, he lives kind of like as a man that was incarcerated, but he also lives as a man who thought that he was going to be, you know, convicted and then exonerated. So his lawyers say that in some ways, at least, he would have been better off if, um, if he had been actually convicted of the crime so they said his his lawyer said let's imagine that Emmanuel was wrongly convic convicted excuse me he would have spent a number of years a number of years in prison but then he would have gotten out he would have been on parole 
There would have been help to get him a job, help to get him on his feet, help to get him back on the ground. Some say that he needed mental care. Some say that he needed other things. But now he suffers from depression, anxiety, and PTSD. But the city of Redmond has nothing to do with kind of helping him along this, you know, this path. And they created that for him because they arrested him basically on, for lack of better words, bullshit. So he was in jail for nine years based off of bullshit. And so now he has a lot of mental health problems, physical problems because he was cooped up in a cell for so long and they basically don't want to help them help him excuse me so that's why he's suing them so um Emmanuel even said that you know he at first he was reluctant to file a lawsuit against all of these people because Arpina's family still doesn't have justice for who killed her so he feels at the same time he still feels guilty because he's like damn you know like I didn't do it but I know somebody out there did it and like this family still has no justice. So I want to help them, but at the same time, like, y'all did me wrong, so I need justice as well. Mm-hmm. So he says, a literal quote, I'm out, but I'm not free. And so um, there's some other outlier details that we want to mention. So the initial investigation, when they initially did it, was focused on Cameron. So the interesting thing about Cameron is they had a lot of um, – just like careless errors in the in the case. But I think because he was white, it was overlooked. So even down to the DNA samples, they found more DNA samples with Cameron on it than they did Emmanuel. But the thing is, Emmanuel was a white man and walking into a lot of those conversations, they gave him immunity. So they interviewed him four times. Out of four of those interviews, they allowed him immunity two out of four of those times. Cameron. So 50% of the time, Emmanuel. they said that he was immune... He was immune from doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, you said Emmanuel, but not. I'm sorry, Cameron. Cameron. Yep, it was Cameron. That My apologies. Mm-hmm. I said Emmanuel, but I mean Cameron. I mean, I said Cameron, but I mean Emmanuel. Thank you. No. So. You did it right the first way. I was right the first time. Okay, yeah. thank you. You, you thank said you. Emmanuel, but you meant Cameron. So they gave Cameron immunity. Twice. Yes, they mm-hmm. gave Cameron immunity twice. So they wanted to see his phone with his phone records and his text messages, and he told them no. By the time they actually obtained a subpoena to look through his phone records, his phone was washed. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any cell phone records in terms of call logs. He didn't have any text messages, any anything. And they didn't have Arpina's phone. They didn't have any of her electronics from the apartment. What'd you say, boo? Exactly. They said they didn't have it during a trial. They didn't have it. And I'm like, also technology, I'm like, it was, it was, technology was technology in 08, but it's not what it is now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? No, you can subpoena the phone number. You can subpoena the phone number and tap the cell phone tower to see what phone call you made. And, uh, okay, exactly, Miss Attorney, right? But <laughs> if you're not, if you're not interested in, oh, yeah, you don't if you don't care what, what Cameron is doing because you don't think he, because you don't think he did it, of course, you're not going to dig, right? So I think once they already thought that he was innocent, it was whatever. So Michelle and I actually heard um, a cell phone, not excuse me, not a cell phone, but um, an interview between Detective Coates, which was the main detective on this case, and Cameron. And in the middle of the interview, Cameron asks for the tape to be cut off. Mm-hmm. And they cut it off. And after that interview, he walked away from from the interview with his cell phone, with everything else, and they didn't obtain anything else. Yeah. 
So we don't know what was said on that particular, you know, on that particular interview, but I think it was something incriminating and they let him walk and or he snitched on Emmanuel. No, they didn't. And the interesting thing is, not Emmanuel, excuse me, Cameron actually, when he was in court, he testified, but he didn't testify. He pleaded the fifth. He pleaded the fifth. They called him to the stand and he pleaded the fifth. He didn't say anything. So what, what else is more guiltier than somebody that's pleading the fifth, right? So also they said detectives conducted dozens of interviews with residents of the Valley View, um, but most of the people already said that Cameron had a sexual interest in Arpana. So Cameron also told the police that he had a sexual interest in he Arpana. He said she, was, she dressed provocative that night pretty yep. much. He said her thighs were out. He said she, her body was out. That's yeah. I'm just saying what the people say. But the police really ran with Emmanuel because already on his criminal record, they're like, oh, well, he's black. He's a rapist. So he has a exactly. So he's going to rape again. It's him. And even though him being 21 years old and having sex with a 14 year old is very inappropriate. It's exactly because if him and, and her really together wanted to have that relationship, it's inappropriate. And legally, it's rape. But to them, it was consensual. They wanted to have sex with one another. Mm -hmm. So it's not the same as somebody that's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's not a murderer. So it, it, this, this, the stakes are a little different, as, as messed up as it actually does sound. Um, so the police actually used his, you know, his rape charges and so on and so forth to their advantage. Okay? So... Um, at the time when they actually found Emmanuel and they asked Emmanuel all of these questions, it was two years after the fact. So they didn't question Emmanuel and actually ask him about this case until 2010. Remember, Arpin died in 2008. So when they did it, it was almost to an extent like he was being cornered in a sense. So he said he felt like it was almost like a drive-by. Like they pulled up on him. Low lights, they were, they were dressed in regular clothes, and they were like, hey, we want to talk to you. Come jump in the car. If you don't talk to us now, we're going to arrest you because we know that you are in parole violation, whatever. And then they actually ended up arresting him anyway. So he said he was cooperative with the police. He talked to the police. But like many black men in custody, he thought that he was going to die. So he thought that he had to give them whatever information that they wanted to know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and so many times we see that happening where, you know, black men are actually not even doing anything and the police kind of make them do whatever. Um, so outside of him, an, an unidentified male's DNA was found on a bruise on Arpana's wrist. Also, they found an unidentified male's DNA on the tampon that was removed from her body. And um, so, obviously, this person is somebody who hasn't convicted a crime before because his name, excuse me, his DNA was not in some kind of crime database or in the system. So, um, according to the lawsuit, um, Cameron's DNA was actually found, his fingerprints were found on the inside of Arpena's apartment in her window seal. So, remember, he was her neighbor. So, there's a possibility that he jumped over the balcony and opened up her damn window to kind of, excuse me, come in to do whatever he wanted to. And remember, his DNA was also on the motor oil bottle. Obviously was the murderer, exactly. So here's the thing. 
He was so white that they just didn't check anything. A lighter was found in his apartment with a sticky, with a sticky black substance that could have been motor oil. The police even took a picture of it, but they never tested it to see what it was. So here's the thing. We didn't want to give you guys a picture of him because his name is so generic. His name is Cameron Johnson. It's, and it's so, so, it's so hard we to find him. We found at least 100 Cameron, white Cameron Johnsons in the, the Seattle area. Long story short, he had a good lawyer. Yeah. And so also in a lot of cases that we also found, they don't even name him at all. Mm-hmm. So like we had to like really dig into the court cases to figure out who this guy was. Okay. So police records also also show that two members of the motorcycle club had six had excuse me history of sexual crimes, and one of them had actually been kind of sexually harassing Arpana. But I think that this is kind of like a one off thing because also if you are in her motorcycle club, you run with motorcycles, you have motor oil, you're already gonna know motor oil is inflammable so you're not going to try and burn her body with that so i don't think that they did that i think that was just a one-off tip that they kind of got so also according to police logs in february 2010 detective Coates reached out to a psychic so this is also yes this is a mess the whole case is a mess the detective reached out to a psychotic not psychotic excuse me a psychic medium and the medium tried to speak to, to Arpina about who killed her or maybe who didn't kill her. And we all know, like, that's, that's some bullshit. Like, come on. Ain't nobody doing that. So that's, that's kind of where the case is left. So to this day, we already know Emmanuel got off. He's now deemed an innocent man, but nobody has been convicted with Arpa's murder. Murder, excuse me. So as Michelle and I kind of looked through this case and kind of studied the case, honestly, I went through the ebbs and flows. I thought it was Neil at first, like a lot of you thought. Then I thought it might have been Cameron. And then I was like, maybe Cameron and um, Emmanuel did something together because their timelines are just so off. Maybe they were accomplices. But then also I'm agreeing with the police. Like they didn't know each other long enough to be accomplices. I don't know. So Michelle, I invite you to chime in and tell us what, what do you think? I think Cameron did it. I think Cameron did it. I think um, maybe Emmanuel has seen something or he all, he already was just a criminal, so he didn't want to get into the shits, but he already, he might have came across some, some something. He didn't want to be involved. Um, but I also think it's giving. I know what you did last summer, and I feel like everybody's involved. And there, this is kind of a group friendship thing where mm-hmm. everybody knew something about something. Maybe they seen something, heard something, and it became something that they didn't think it was going to become. And once it became that, everybody backed off. Because there's too many moving parts. He was the outsider, so of course it's easier to blame. You know, yeah. they're all close-knit, tight group or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, like you have to think about Emmanuel being gone for that um, time period in the middle of the night. So was Cameron. But also, everyone was. Also, everybody gathered in that apartment. That's what we know. But I'm like, we don't. We, we, we know that they gathered in that apartment, but what was they doing in that apartment? What was they talking about outside of the little argument we know that happened between Rachel and Arpana? But I'm like, y'all could have been burying the body for all I know. Yeah. So that was another thing that I think Mish and I have talked about a lot over the past few weeks. Like, this is a classic case of, like, who done it. So everybody. And so many people could be guilty. Yeah. So, so many people can, ha- can 
have had a motive. Like, if her and Rachel got into it bad enough, Rachel could have been psychotic enough to be like, girl, I don't like you. I'm going to kill you. Cameron was sexually attracted to her, and maybe he heard her having sex with somebody. So he was like, oh, you don't want me? Girl, I'm going to kill you. And so, like, you know, we heard that Kyle, the next-door neighbor, heard a thud at 8 a.m. And the more that we talk about it, I think she was already dead by 8 a.m. So when Cameron allegedly heard her having sex at 3 a.m., I think she was being sexually assaulted at 3 a.m. And then they did whatever they needed to do to clean the body between 3 a.m. and 8 a.m. And when they heard that thud at 8 a.m., that was her dead weight falling on the ground. And it was so loud because it was dead weight. But also, I disagree. Because and this is this is you know her and I always have different theories, but I think I, I think baby girl was dead by eight a.m. already. She could have been. She could have been. We don't know that for sure. But at three a.m. when it was noise being made, yes, a lot of things could have been going on. She could have been having sex. She could she could have been getting sexually assaulted. But at, at eight a.m. when her you know the thud, we I agree we have you know her body was probably hitting the ground. Water started to run after that, and it ran for about an hour. Yeah, or you run water to clean the case. Like when you're mi- mixing bleach with her with her comforter. But you're saying she's already dead. I think she was dying at that point. I feel like she could have been going through. Huh? It's a difference. Like he could have spent the whole night trying to kill her and nobody heard it. The water, run, the water was running at 8 a.m. And so another thing is Emmanuel, Leslie, and a lot of other folks, honestly, nobody at the Valley View was really Arpana's friend. Mm. Let, like, if we really want to tap into Wasn't it. nobody in our game. Because if y'all have four different parties at the Valley View, one of them was at Arpana's apartment. A few of them were also on the bottom floor. Nobody cared about this woman because at 8 to 9 a.m., everybody was cleaning up their apartments, helping each other. Why the hell didn't you go to the third floor to see if this woman was awake to help her clean? Because she was the last house y'all was at to party. She invited y'all over for pizza at 1 o'clock in the morning. And y'all didn't think enough of her to go upstairs to help her clean up at 8 o'clock in the damn morning. So, to, to be honest, everybody is implicit. In this, in this damn But crime. it's like, for me, it's like, y'all cleaned every floor. Y'all telling me y'all woke up at 8 a.m. to clean up. Y'all was picking up trash. Y'all was doing all that. For one, what nothing going on on the second floor? Because all we've heard about is the first floor and the third floor. But nobody went up to the third floor to clean up. Basically, yes. Leslie and Rachel, yes. You said Leslie and Rachel? No, Leslie and, excuse me, Nicole, they lived on the first floor. She's saying Arpana was the only brown woman that was, that was like, in the mix, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was a predominantly white environment. I'm not surprised that she's saying that. Did she get any, um, like, did she get any type of, like, reparations or something? I don't know if y'all have public reparations. So his case that he, like, in, in the case that he's suing the Redmond PD, the case is, is, is literally under investigation now, like, a lot of the stuff that we found, they couldn't even speak on because it's literally happening. Like, the litigation and stuff is happening now. Mm-hmm. So, when he filed all of this stuff, it was at, like, December 31, 2021. So, this his case is pretty fresh because he just got out of jail in 2019. He's still in Seattle. He's still in Seattle. He lives with his auntie. So, this, this stoop that you actually see him on is his aunt's house right here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. What do you think happened, Amanda? What do I think happened to who? To Arpana? I, that night, yeah. I honestly think um, Arpana got into an altercation with Rachel. And then another thing that I feel like we didn't really, like, make big was that Arpana's door was kicked in. So Allegedly. Allegedly, it was kicked in. But, of, of course, in. so I have two thoughts. Because if, like, if Kyle was able to hear her water running in her apartment, hear the thud, Cameron was able to hear her having sex, that means these walls are very thin, right? So if somebody is physically kicking your door, somebody's going to hear that, right? Nobody heard that. So I'm thinking either her door was kicked in during the party already or when everybody retreated back to the first floor between like 1.30 and 2 a.m., somebody kicked in Arpana's door and they were waiting for her in that apartment before she got home. And so when her and Rachel got into that argument, whoever killed her was already in her house at 3 o'clock in the morning when she walked back in there. And... No, the fight the fight with Rachel was downstairs at another person's apartment. It was on the first floor. They went up to her apartment at one o'clock to get pizza. Then they went next door to Cameron's apartment to take shots of vodka, and then at about two thirty to three o'clock, it was very specific. That's what they said. They took shots of vodka at about two thirty to three o'clock. They went downstairs. What's her name? Nicole. Mm -hmm. They went downstairs to Nicole's apartment to kind of like talk, do whatever. They were cooling it. And then that's when they got into an argument. That's when Rachel and Arpana got into an argument about women in India versus women in the U.S. And Arpana was like, this is too much. I'm, I'm out. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. And so at that... Yeah, so Kyle yeah, is on one side. Cameron's on the other side. There's no... Kyle has no record of what was going on at that time, apparently. Yeah. Yes, the first account of Kyle is at 8 a.m. when he heard the thud. Mm -hmm. But allegedly, Cameron He, he wasn't heard, at the party. Oh, Kyle wasn't at the party. No. Kyle wasn't at the party. But allegedly, Cameron heard her having sex at 3 a.m. He heard her having sex at 3 a.m., but remember, he was also calling her at 3 a.m. He was having sex with her at 3 a.m. He's lying. No, no, Cameron was calling at 3 a.m., not Kyle. Cameron was calling at 3 a.m., not Kyle. Remember, Cameron's on one side, Kyle's on one side. Kyle wasn't at the party. He didn't have shit to do with what the fuck was going on. He reported what he heard. Huh? No, she did not. She did not no. answer. That was Cameron. Yep. Four. Four. Well, multiple her, floors. I think her house was more so like the second stop. So, like... Her party was, like, her party kind of ended around, like, the 9 o'clock hour, and then she ordered pizza, and then people migrated back to her house around, like, 1 a.m. But then after that, Cameron came late to the party because he was in Seattle partying with other people. He was like, hey, I got liquor at my crib. We're taking shots. Come over. So they went from Arpana's house to next door to his apartment. Mm -hmm. They partied at his shit for a little bit, and then after that, they went downstairs to another person's apartment and kind of retreated there for the night. Yep. Yep. 
Somewhere. Somewhere on the West Coast, they played. Canada. It, it, exactly, and that's the thing. Like, this party literally had Valley View residents and Valley View residents' friends. Mm -hmm. So that was another part of ARPANA's um, case that was really hard for police to figure out because they had just had that party there, and they were basing this off of touch DNA. There was, like, 50 to 60 profiles of DNA in her apartment at one time. So just like you found Emmanuel's DNA on this particular thing, on the tape, and remember, he helped set up the parties. So his DNA could have very well been on the tape from like sticking something on the wall, and then the killer found that tape and stuck it over her mouth, right? right? Mm -hmm. So like it, the touch DNA portion of it all in Emmanuel is 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 very tricky, to be honest. From her boyfriend. He's the only one that had different type of DNA. Mm -hmm. Yep. His actual semen was there. No one's DNA was found on the door. And let's be honest, that door could have been kicked in, moved in when the party was happening. Mm -hmm. At one point around 1 a.m., the entire party was in Arpana's apartment. It was on her floor. Yep. Like, everybody was raging. Like, everybody they tried to want, they were kind of winding down around 12 a.m. because they had been partying since 7. And then she was like, fuck that. You know, everybody come to my part, come to my house. I got the pizza and it turned up again, essentially. And then Cameron came and then he, you know, was turning up. And then his apartment was next door. He was like, come take shots. So, in that area, they were in that area for at least an hour, hour and a mm -hmm. half. If I'm being honest, I think that they were accomplices. I'm not going to lie to you. Because for y'all, for I like, think they were inadvertent accomplices, though. And they were both calling women in that in that in that small time frame. So I don't know if they was calling women to have sex, if they were calling women to do whatever. But yeah. Okay, so Michelle, um, yeah, before. We, we, we rap. Do we want to tell them our announcement? And so, as you can see, this last case was not in the DMV. Can I tell and that is because we are no longer a DMV-based podcast. Mish? Um, so, what we did is we put 10 cities, areas in a hat, and we just picked them. And it's just crazy what came out that hat. Because this is a city I'm very familiar with. Oh, no, we're going to Sacramento, California next. Look at her. <laughs> so we're taking uh, the point of no, no return on road. We decided every season we're going to go to a new city. Um, not just that, that we're familiar with, but that we might have connects with right now because that's how we got because, y'all, the reach is crazy because, you know, we're doing this on our own. Um, but, yeah, so we got something real nice for y'all in season two. So we're going somewhere else. So next season we won't be in D.C. We'll be somewhere else, so stay tuned. Um, it's gonna be lady, it's gonna be fire. That's it. Can we get a round of applause? Awesome. Period. And so, we, we we got a few people we wanna thank. Um yeah, and, and just and just talk 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 to y'all real quick about how this all came together. So like Amanda said earlier, um this is the first place we we even recorded our first episode. It was in them back rooms right there. We can't even get to them because we ain't even got a key card because this is a space we got for free, like off the strength of networking and 
I knew this person from like my first real full-time reporting job and he just really fucked with me. He was like, yeah, y'all want to come record y'all podcast? Do it here. And he was adamant. And in the beginning, we were kind of like, the audio in here sucks back there. And I was like, yeah, I don't really want to do it. But I'm like, it, it's beautiful in here. So we did mm-hmm. it. And um, yeah, like fast forward when we were trying to plan this event, like we had a few, you know, venues in mind. And this one just popped. Like it just, it just worked. And there's just been people throughout our journey who have really supported us. My sister for one. Yeah. Um, that's Sheena. Oh my God! <laughs> she bought my equipment. She supplied the coffee tonight, and just really has just been supporting me. Like, dang, I'm about to cry. Please. Um, I don't have y'all know me. I don't have much family out here. I have one person, and it's her. And she's, you know, rode with me, carried me through all of my journeys out here. And, like, you know, I'm just very grateful. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) And um, (laughs) we would also love to thank Ariel. She picked up the Chick-fil-A, honestly. And baby girl was early. Y'all was all late. Baby girl was 15 minutes early. We were still in our sweatpants, okay? When Ariel came, the makeup was done, the hair was done. She pulled up with the wrap. She pulled up with the chicken, and, and, and it she was a moment. Let us stay at her house. <laughs> also, yes. Also, yes. Um, the point of no return headquarters, Ariel's house. Um, yes. Yeah, so when baby girl pulled up, and man, it was like one thing I know about Ariel. She gonna pull up. I fuck with her. That's my girl. <laughs> like that's my girl, and, and very much so. Yeah. It, it, even outside of that, so many people have just you know been so integral to our growth in this you know small but mighty journey. Um, and when it, when it pop one day, we gonna motherfucker remember this moment. Okay. That's all I'm done. Yep. So, um, again, to, to piggyback off of what Michelle said, you know, thank you to each and every one of you for coming out tonight and supporting us and just supporting us through our journalistic journeys, um, along the way. We have so much more in store for y'all in the future. Um, and this is definitely a moment that y'all can look back on and be like, wow, I really got it out the mud with them bitches. So, um, for one last time for season one, this is our rap. I'm Amanda Washington. And I'm Michelle Hay Graham. <laughs> and this is. And this is. The, the point, point of, of no, no return. return. Thank you. Yay!